And welcome back to A Pagan Heart in Maine. On today's episode, we have part two of my interview with Jane Rayburn, author of Celtic Wicca, and we'll talk about masks and giant bunnies. Music on today's program from Elaine Silver, Spiral Dance, Blackmore's Night, and Laura Powers. To start us out today, for Valentine's Day, I am dedicating this first song to my wife Oceana. She is the love of my life and my one true love, and I would not be the person I am today without her. Here's Lane Silver with One True Love. Experiences lead to other experiences. The doors we open lead to other doors. Sometimes to doors we wouldn't have found otherwise. Send in the clowns, part two. The first time I put on the gorilla suit, I was worried that it fit me just a little too well. 
It made me wonder if the reason I like bananas might be a little more than just me liking bananas. Driving down the highway with a trunk full of balloons, hairy arm hanging out the window in the full moonlight, this is an experience that comes from a carefully walked path through the mild underbrush of what we call a normal world. I found that if you wear a gorilla suit long enough, you even start to feel more primitive. And for me, what I mean by long enough was about two minutes. You start wanting to make noises like I could hear the host of Wild Kingdom giving commentary. And here we find the urban silverback gorilla in his native habitat driving down the road in an 85 Oldsmobile Calente. Oh, and watch this. A car is driving up next to him. The people look over toward the gorilla. And yes, the gorilla looks over and smiles, startling the poor elderly couple as they slam on their brakes and head for the ditch. Well, before I got to the party to deliver a trunk full of air, I had to pull over for gas. The 85 Oldsmobile Calente was not well known for its gas mileage. So now you have to imagine a typical gas store attendant watching a big black gorilla pumping gas at 8 o'clock at night. Then, after the ape finishes, comes in and says, It's a jungle out there. You work and slave all day for what? Bananas. The gorilla pays for his gas and leaves. I have no idea what the gas station attendant was thinking, but I'm sure that he still thinks it to this day. Pandas are cuter than gorillas, and delivering a pandagram is like any other courier job. You take your message, deliver it to an address, and give the recipient a message, only in a panda suit. It can be a letter, a greeting, a package, delivered by a cute, cuddly panda bear. Now what made this day's delivery special was that the person gave me an address, but did not tell me what business it was. So you can imagine my surprise, and the shocked surprise of everyone in the building, when I walked into the bank lobby, wearing a giant panda suit, and carrying a large paper bag. I had everyone's undivided attention. My surprise was nothing compared to the look of surprise on the security guards' faces as they were quickly deciding if Ling Ling the half-crazed retarded panda bear needed to be put to sleep. Immediately I imagined local news crew images of animal enforcement carrying away the body of what looked like a big black and white bear. After a quick interrogation, and pat down of the giant panda and determining the contents and recipient of the paper bag goods, good old Ling Ling went on his merry way. Now there's a distant memory deep within myself that remembers standing on the shoreline wearing a helmet with fur and large horns coming out the sides. This memory came back to me as my head was inside of another fur helmet. Only instead of horns, this helmet had pink and white bunny ears and was shaped like a beach ball with giant buck teeth. And instead of standing on the shoreline, I was standing at the door of a kindergarten class, carrying a large basket of colored chicken eggs. Yeah, that's right. Peter freaking Cottontail on steroids. So I was supposed to come in, deliver the Easter eggs, and leave. But oh no, that's not good enough for the kids hyped up on chocolate Easter eggs. They want the fat man in the bunny suit to dance. 
And dance he must, lest a dark shadow forever be cast upon the legend of the Easter Bunny. And who am I to dash the hopes and beliefs of young ones such as these? And so dance I did. Somehow over the course of several centuries I have gone from living as a mighty warrior along the banks of some distant Nordic shore to doing the bunny hop with a giant white pom-pom on my butt. Over and over again. I don't believe in hell, but I do sometimes wonder. After about 20 minutes of hopping around with 50 pounds of fur in a hot classroom, wearing a fully enclosed 15-pound beach ball on my head, I suddenly imagined images of the local news crew of animal enforcement carrying away the body of what looked like a big, white, and pink bunny rabbit. Children crying, Why won't the Easter bunny wake up? A white paw falling off the hospital cart and an Easter egg slowly falling to the ground, fade to black. After breathing my own hot air over and over again, I suddenly felt that instead of being surrounded by kindergartners, I was surrounded by some ancient cannibalistic pygmy tribe dancing around me and that Hassenpfeffer was on the menu. I felt like I barely escaped with my life. Those are just three short experiences. You see, there's a part of me that I am the gorilla. I am the panda. I am the bunny. These are all masks that I have worn. They're part of the experience that is my life, and they're part of me. All of us wear masks in our lives. Masks to protect us. Masks to hide behind. Masks that may or may not be a part of who we really are. Sometimes the masks are scary. Sometimes the masks furry and warm. Like the gorilla mask, if you wear a mask long enough, you will become like the mask you wear. Like the panda mask, what you see and interpret to be can be seen to be something totally different to someone else. And like the bunny mask, sometimes the masks we wear suffocate who we really are. So look at the masks you wear. Wear the masks that reflect who you really are. Get rid of the masks that suffocate, that keep you breathing your own sweat and fear. Swap the masks you hide behind for masks that show who you are and who you want to be. We wear masks and makeup for many reasons. You might wear clown makeup like Spackle to hide the cracks on your face or the cracks in your life. You may hide behind a mask to keep from being vulnerable and hurt. You can still wear makeup. You can still wear masks. But use the makeup to focus and highlight the natural color and features you have in your life. And everyone has them. When you concentrate on the beauty, you don't see the cracks. Find something you like about yourself and make a mask out of that. You don't have to show the world everything that you are, but you don't have to hide either. You will become like the masks that you wear. But make sure you also have enough holes in it to breathe. That's important. It's been many years since I've put on clown makeup, but I'm still a clown. I still like bananas. I like coloring eggs. And once in a while, I'll still throw a few extra bamboo shoots on my plate 
before walking over to the Mongolian Grill. Did you share his breath 
As the stars grew dim, did you feel the life quicken within? And in the mist of morn, she lay alone and shivered by the Tolvan stone. Stay close, she said, my Abba child. I know you yearn for the spirit wild. Don't walk the all when you're alone. And don't stray to the Tolvan stone. And that was Spiral Dance with Tolvenstone. And this is part two of my interview with author Jane Rayburn. And it starts off where we left off in episode seven. And we start talking about pagan leadership, training, and legitimacy in the pagan community. Uh, The work that I've done towards legitimacy is mostly taking the form of living a life that is responsible and well-run enough that somebody who doesn't know I'm pagan and finds out about it will get a positive image of paganism, of Wicca, because this person that they know, just this Jane that they know, is part of it. Mm -hmm. And the work that I'm doing with Cherry Hill is primarily for other pagans. Because I think that we need this. I think that we need uh, training for group leaders. I think we need training for people who are going to, by virtue of their leadership, run into positions where they need counseling skills, whether or not they are professional counselors. We are going to need training on dealing with institutions such as prisons and hospitals where this chaplaincy program is going to come in real handy and to deal with the situations that would come up there, which are fairly extreme. Most of us who come to paganism do not have the skills to -hmm. deal with those situations. As a pagan community leader, I've dealt with situations that I never had to deal with as just a regular old person. Things like people who need hospitalization for mental illness. Things like uh, people who are in bad marriages and threatening violence and so forth. And I, you know, I've gone to court with people. And you know, just as a minister, clergy member, priestess, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I'm not in any way a trained counselor, but I've done a couple of workshops, not I, not conducted, I've participated in, taken a couple of workshops on counseling training, simply because I know it's going to come up. And you want to be aware of what you're getting into before you're actually thrown into that situation. And most of the non-professional training simply is a matter of learning to set boundaries, of saying, whoa, this far and no farther, you need a professional to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I can give you tea and sympathy. I can't give you um, lithium. 
So, and, and, and that's really good, especially when we have a lot of self-proclaimed priests and priestesses out there who, to themselves, you are your own priest and priestess, but when you start adding other people into the equation, you know, if, if all you have is, is the training from one of Scott Cunningham's books, then you're not really qualified to help someone else. Right, right, and nothing against Scott Cunningham. He's a, he was a wonderful guy and wrote some very pleasant books. Oh, absolutely. But, um, yeah. That's that's where a lot of us got, got our start. Absolutely. That was the first book that I said, well, this religion is kind of interesting, and uh, what should I read? And somebody put one of his books into my hand, and, you know, mm-hmm. away we went. The, I'm sorry, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Legitimacy. Oh, one of the one of the activities that I've been very, one of the, um, one of the activities are very active. <laughs> you can edit this part, right? <laughs> oh yeah, this will all get edited. I, I'll actually listen back through this and chop and cut. And it's okay. It, it, it'll actually be a very professional-sounding interview by the time we get done. If it's funny, you can leave it in. That's yeah. fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay with being funny. Um, one of the things I've been very involved in is the found formation and um, ongoing work of the Maine Pagan Clergy Association. Um, I was one of the founding members, um, and the founding meeting took place in my house back in 1990, I think it was, it was either 99 or 2000, mm-hmm. um, because one of the first big things we had to deal with as a pagan community was the response to 9-11, um, mm. where there were so many people just feeling so much pain and sadness and grief and anger and also feeling scared. And I, I, my uh, real job at the time was in the news business. And uh, so I certainly was feeling all those things. And we, st- and, um, but bef- even before that, MPCA started out as a way for people who are leaders, who are taking on responsibilities within pagan community to get some support from one another. Mm-hmm. Now, we've done some other things as well. We started an official pagan licensure and recognition program so that people who want pagan uh, clergy credentials in the state can get them. We specifically made that program equivalent to, or at least semi-equivalent to, what might be required of clergy in a more conventional religion because of that desire for legitimacy. If you just want to do a wedding, go to Universal Life Church, sign up online. It takes five minutes. You can do the wedding, whatever. Um, Our laws are are loose enough that you can do that. But if you want a pagan clergy credential, we set up a way for that to happen. Um, We've participated in um, other efforts statewide, such as Maine Pagan Pride Day. Mm -hmm. Um, We've put together some resources on our website, that kind of thing. But what we primarily do is let pagan leaders have a place in confidentiality. We have four meetings a year at which, in a cast circle, with a pledge of confidentiality, you can say things like, there's this person in my coven who's driving me crazy, what do I do? (laughs) Because before that, people were alone. Right. So, so really, it's 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 as far as even with the after the you have the licensure, you have the recognition, but it's also a ministerial support group. Exactly. That's what we saw was a, was a a need to um, support the supporters. Basically, mm-hmm. um, somebody who takes on a clergy role or a leadership role winds up providing and giving a lot to other people if they're doing it right. 
I mean, you can joke around about where are my apprentices to clean my house, but in point of fact, um, <laughs> my my great quote on this topic is: Why does pagan leadership and pagan community me always end up meaning cleaning my bathroom? Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> because that's what I end up doing a lot of. <laughs> okay, MPCA meeting at my house. Got to clean the bathroom. Okay, open ritual at my house. Got to clean the bathroom. <laughs> Um, and uh, that that in itself is a form of service. It's also a form of legitimacy. If somebody comes to uh, my house for a pagan event, I hope that they will find at least a semi-clean bathroom, mm-hmm. and that they will not, you know, think less of paganism because of the state <laughs> of my house. Now, um, clutter. Okay, that's a losing battle. But mm-hmm. community was one of the things I was looking for when I first got involved in paganism, um, and I, I for a long time drove two hours each way to participate in, in a group because it was the only group that I could find. This was pre-internet. Mm-hmm. And when the internet first became more popular, 1994-95, not only was I working in my real job at a newspaper, but I was also participating as a pagan. And so it was immediately clear to me just how awesome this thing could be. And... I wound up becoming the first web producer for the paper that I mm-hmm. worked at. And I also wound up starting the first main pagan email list, which is still going. Um, I was originally running it off of software on my little Mac Classic. <laughs> <laughs> and it went down all the time. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, and now we have more web-based solutions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sort of trying to transition the whole thing into more of a more of a social networking mm-hmm. uh, opportunity because the the web has changed and the ways we use the internet have changed and the, and the technologies that are available to us have changed I've actually think it's amazing just in the past 20 years just how far the the internet has come and and, and how much of technology I mean when I first started online I mean it was off of an old Apple II little workstation and and all you had was your 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 FTP files and stuff you you didn't you didn't have all the windows and all of that mm-hmm. back then and uh, and it's just so I, I imagine what it what it must have been you know you think back to the to the to the mid 80s and then you see the internet today i mean i look at my little ipod here which I have over 5,000 songs and, and, and downloads and stuff on. And then I look at my old record collection, which filled up, you know, five or six crates. And that doesn't even... And you even, had to move them every time you changed apartments. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and technology is just amazing. And, and where it's coming in, I think it, it's allowed pagans as a whole to connect with each other. And the opportunities, I think, just keep growing and growing. Even what we're doing here today with the podcasts, I've noticed just in the past six months to a year, there have been some wonderful, it's almost exploded how many good uh, pagan podcasts are out there now. And pagan blogs, and, and, the, and the lists continue to be incredibly valuable. You, you, ha- you have Witchfox, which is an amazing resource. Absolutely. Um, what they've done there is they've taken the whole country and, and, and the world and made it available. You, you can go to different, you know, different state sites and see 
And I, I've used it, you know, okay, I'm going to be in New York next week. Is there anything going on? Are there exactly. any stores I'd like to check out? And uh, they've done a fabulous job with that site. I've been a, I've been a supporter of it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and there's more on the way. Oh, yeah. Um, e- even what I mentioned earlier, uh, paganspace.net. Um, uh, Starfire over there has created a place, you know, kind of on, on the line of a MySpace type mm-hmm. setup where you can go in and interact in real time mm-hmm. with other pagans all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very active community. And, uh, and it's nice to be able to see how other people feel about different issues of the day, about about their path because I, I find that you know even though we each have individual paths we all have something to share with each other and before the internet you really didn't have that because most of us were uh, in the broom closet we were we were uh, solitaires uh, um, unless you caught a glimpse of someone else's uh, 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 pentagram hanging around their neck y- you you just didn't know. One of the great stories from the beginning of the ma- of the uh, main pagan mailing list, which started up in 1996, Arwen from Eminent Grove came up to me at a Lamas festival that year and said, we need a mailing list. And I hadn't uh, gotten to know her as well as I do now, so I blithely ran off and, and did what she said. Now I say, what do you want me to do now? Uh, <laughs> you know, we're good friends, but and she's an awesome person, but uh, she does have a way of, uh, I do have a way of walking away from a conversation with her with more work on my plate. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, so I, I blithely went off and set up a mailing list. And uh, one of the great stories from that was that someone who was in a group that I was uh, running at the time found out that one of the new posters on the list was someone who lived a mile away from her. They never would have known mm-hmm. because neither of them had wore any pagan jewelry. Neither of them had any pagan you know displays outside of their houses or anything. They were just people living out in the woods in this little town, you know, trying to fit in, go into their jobs, and so this the, that 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 to me said, oh, this is 1996, and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> And um, just now, uh, just uh, last month on New Year's Eve, so not quite last month, six weeks ago, whatever, um, a member of my group got engaged to a woman he met on Pagan Personals. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great. It is, it is. It's just. Connecting people is fabulous. One of the things that I think is interesting is that the internet is standardizing paganism. We are developing a set of norms for how we practice and what we do. Even though we are a very, very wide-ranging religion, still, you know, you ask 10 pagans, you get 12 opinions. Right. Before the Internet came along, you had to study paganism with somebody who had already studied it. And even though we're a fairly mobile society, those people tended to congregate in one area. I was, I was initiated in 91, so this was before all this really hit um, by members of an Alexandrian group in Boston. And there's this whole lineage of people who can trace their their pagan lineage back to this one guy. And you've got to know that all of those people were sort of shaping their paganism, sort of a New England paganism or a Boston Alexandrian paganism in a certain way. Right. And with the internet, you're not stuck with that one set of ideas. Certainly ideas were transmitted through books, 
but the internet has really changed that. It used to be that you'd go into the store and you'd buy every pagan book that there was because that was how you got your information. Right. And and one of the reasons that I haven't written anything since Pagan's Muse is it's gotten much harder to sell a pagan book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of what I call uh, witch crap books out there. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Supermarket Sorceress's Book of Sexy Hexes. A lot of fun. Love mm-hmm. it. Uh, actually, my favorite in that vein is um, Lilith McClellan's The Salem Witch's Book of Love Spells. <laughs> Because uh, she's actually a friend, she she uh, performed our wedding ceremony, and uh, and she's funny as hell. Uh-huh. And um, she actually did some research. I mean, she includes some ancient Roman love spells that boy, wow. you wouldn't want to try them now. The karma would be heinous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and if you go on to read. Um, her other works, she's actually somebody who can think about paganism and has opinions about it and, and uh, is really intelligent, but that was a funny book that she wanted to sell. Mm-hmm. And, and with a title like that, it probably sold millions. I know it was <laughs> translated into Portuguese. Wow. <laughs> There's a big interest in this sort of thing in Brazil, of all, uh, of all things. Huh. Um, I, I, I would have never known that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a surprise to both of us as well. Um, and uh, so, anyway, it's gotten harder to sell a pagan book, and I am fortunate enough to not need to depend on this to pay the rent. So mm-hmm. I am um, have kind of drawn back a little bit on the writing thing until I can figure out a way to get my ideas out there and make it pay. Um, because if you look at the work that I put into each of those books and what I was paid for it, it works out to a good 46 cents an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but you but know, you I could do course, a little bit better than that. But, but of course, you did it as a labor of love. You really weren't expecting it. Right, to. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm going to do things as a labor of love, I tend to want to do them within my own home community so that I can um, see whether I'm doing a good job and get feedback from people. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, the standardization of paganism, where, where the Internet has really opened up a lot of opportunities for people. Um, do you think one of the fears that, and, and I've heard this from several different sources, that rather than providing more diversity, that it may actually be watering down paganism as a whole? How do you feel about that? You know, I could go either way on that. You always have, like, your old hippie pagans who say, well, it's not like it was in the old days when we went swimming naked in the Mississippi River, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, oh, yeah, we're so stoned. Uh, <laughs> um, now, I, I just want to interject. I do notice, and, and, and I think it's funny, uh-huh. and, and, I, and, and, I, and I don't mean anything bad, but I notice that a lot of pagans come in two basic flavors, two basic styles, Mm -hmm. and that is your skinny hippie people Mm -hmm. or your large moon-shaped people. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, you know, um, uh, polarities are are a a, a fundamental uh, uh, guiding principle, and often they marry each other. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it it is. Um, I I just had to throw that out there, because when you you mentioned hippies, and I thought that just... Well, also, it's there's this whole continuum out there of things that smart people who don't quite fit into society do for fun. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pagan religion, which certainly is more than just fun, but uh, we try right. to make it fun. Oh, absolutely. As, uh, as well as being uh, meaningful and spiritual. There's stuff like science fiction fandom. 
which some people take to an extent where you could call it a religion. Yeah. Um, there's you know stuff like sci-fi fantasy novels, Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. There's computer nerdity, uh, computer gaming, that kind of thing. World of Warcraft, although that also uh, is not just specifically nerdy people. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanya Lerman in her book Persuasions of the Witch's Craft talks about why are so many pagans working in tech fields? Well, you know, I'm a web producer, so I fit right into that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm sort of a round person with uh, dyed red hair and glasses. So, you know, <laughs> okay, just like, let's let's just call the stereotype. Yes, I have two black cats. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, historical reenacting is another one. Mm. If I meet somebody who's into any of those things... We're tra- talking like society or creative anachronism. Oh, absolutely. I'm in the SCA, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> I was just doing it last weekend. Um, if I meet somebody who's into any of those things, usually they have met pagans before. If they're not pagan themselves, they know what we are and they accept us. Mm. Mm-hmm. Usually, I know what they're about, and I may not be into all the same things they're into, but I have a basic understanding of what they're about. And so it's sort of interesting that um, uh, if I were a sociologist, I'd be writing about this. (laughs) Oh, Um, human nature is a fascinating, fascinating thing. And what's interesting is that this will probably get written because um, there's an increasing uh, number of academics who have specifically taken on aspects of paganism as their their areas of research interest, um, whether it's pagan religion, whether it's the uses of magic, whether it's things like astrology and tarot. And we're seeing an increasing legitimacy in the academic world, in the, in the st- academic study of religion, mm-hmm. for studying these specific groups. It's, it's fascinating, actually. Um, it's um, a place where some legitimacy has been found. But also, it's a place where because pagans love to read about themselves, it's a place where your master's thesis can become a book that you can sell. <laughs> right, right. Um, as I say, if I, if I were a sociologist, I'd be writing about this. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not going to be, but, but somebody out there can pick it up. Free ideas, free ideas, just give me a call. Um, <laughs> now, you also have a book called uh, The Pagan's Muse, Poems of Wisdom and Inspiration, uh, which you put out in 2003. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I did not write the poetry, and that's probably a good thing for all of you. I (laughs) edited the poetry. I I put out a call for submissions on the Internet, and I got some of the most wonderful poems. Paring it down to enough to fit in the book was just the hardest job. There are some great people out there, and um, the organizing principle uh, I used was from... Uh, was using phrases from The Charge of the Goddess, which is sort of the uh-huh. the primal pagan poem, Wiccan poem. And we have so the, and there are sections for poems about deities, poems about grief, poems about love and sex, poems about uh, nature. And the idea is that this is a ritual resource that if you want to add some nice poetic voice to your rituals, and you don't particularly have the time or the talent to sit down and write something really awesome yourself, um, or mm-hmm. uh, that this this can be 
uh, your resource. And I don't know... It doesn't seem to have sold very well, unfortunately. So, you know, go out and buy it. The Pagan's Muse, edited <laughs> by Jane Raymer. Um, I, I don't know. I don't hear a lot about it. I've used it, certainly, in that way. And there's a speci- the specific section that I draw on most frequently is, is the funny poems. Because I like to, I like to have there are certain certain uh, uh, events that require a certain degree of lightness, and plus I'm doing specifically open rituals that are accessible to a wide variety of people, and I find that humor works well in that situation. It helps people who are new feel a little more comfortable, and uh, and people who have been to the same ritual over and over again feel a little more um, awake. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add to the interview? Um, I think that what you're doing here is fascinating. I'll be interested to see how well podcasting does in the pagan world. Well, thank um, you. I've been um, interested to see some really good blogs come up in this area. The internet is changing incredibly fast, and the fact that we can connect with people all over the world is just marvelous. And I just want to say hello to all your listeners, and uh, bless it be. Bless it be.
And that was I Still Remember by Blackmore's Night. It's time to give some shout-outs to my friends here in Patio Land. Now, all of these cats have really great programs, and you need to download them. Mojo and Sparrow over at the Wiggly and Way. Eric over at the Forest at Night. Emerald Deepwater over at Pagan Living. Serenity at Witch in the City. The Mid-Michigan Pagan Podcast with Ron and the Gang. Lisa, Tony, Charity, and Lori. Lady Saren and Serenity at Country Witch City Witch. Life Wolf over at the Broom Closet. Tommy L from the Edge of the Circle. And Dave and Sandy over at Ravencast. And here are some of their promos. Each individual's path is their own to travel. Each individual's travels are shaped by their own experiences. Each individual's experiences can serve as signposts for others in their own travels. This is Tommy Elf, and this is my pagan podcast from the Edge of the Circle. Come join me while I share not only my own experiences on a variety of topics, but also the experiences of you, the audience, through emails, Gizmo Project voicemails, and whatever other method you can get an answer to the show's upcoming topics. From the Edge of the Circle is a show geared towards you, as I am always willing and ready to tackle whatever topics you can toss my way. This may be my podcast, but I try to make the topics yours. You can find From the Edge of the Circle available for download via iTunes or by going directly to the Libsyn website at http colon slash slash edgeofcircle.libsyn.com that's E-D-G-E-O-F-C-I-R-C-L-E dot L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com I'm looking forward to hearing from you via whatever medium that you can communicate with me through Blessed be and thank you for downloading the show Are you looking for something more out of your gods? Are you looking for how to make the Norse gods a part of your life? Then join us at Ravencast. Check out ravencast.podbean.com. We have interviews, Ostru 101 casts, holiday specials, and much, much more. Check out ravencast.podbean.com. It's more hammer than you can handle. This is definitely not your mother witchcraft. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the best spell I ever did for employment was the get an application and fill it out and turn it back in spell. That one worked really well for me. If a guy couldn't fall in love with me without a love spell, is he really the guy? I don't know. Um, I love being pagan, but sometimes... I'm a witch and I'm proud. That's me, the witch in the city. Join Serenity for Witch in the City, where we discuss all things pagan. It's talk for the modern pagan.
Got pagan issues? Got pagan concerns? Come and join our panel, a group of pagans walking different paths, having conversation and fellowship. Talking about everything pagan with a little flair and a lot of fun, but always from our heart. Just real people sharing our views with other modern day pagans. So come join us at Mid Michigan Pagan Podcast. You can find us on Pagan Radio Network. To find our show times, please go to www.paganradio.net. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for Mid Michigan Pagan Podcast. Or you can go to www.midmichiganpaganpodcast.podcastpeople.com. trapped in the broom closet? Oh, don't be so dramatic. You're in good company. Hi, I'm Live Wolf, and if you're a closeted pagan looking for a podcast that's tailor-made for you, check out The Broom Closet, a show that deals with matters of daily importance for Wiccans and other pagans who haven't gone public with their faith. You can find us on the web at thebroomclosetshow.blogspot.com or search for us on iTunes under the spirituality category. The Broom Closet. Tight spots make for close company. This is Mojo. And this is Sparrow. From from the the Wiggly and Way. The Wiggly and Way is a pagan podcast that explores the many facets of living a magical lifestyle. We are two Wiccans practicing witchcraft in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Join with us and explore your path on the Wiggly and Way. You can download us at thewigglyandway.libsyn.com. You can also find us using iTunes. We're at Podcast Pickle and on Podcast Alley. Thanks, Thanks for, for walking the Wiggly and Way. Oh, hello, Squire. What can I do for you? The Leotard is my factory. Uh, you know this is a fish market, right? The Leotard is my factory. Oh, you want the forest at night? The forest at night. Oh, it's a new pagan podcast with your host Eric. Pagan potpourri for the planetary pagan peoples with loads of randomness for good measure. Look them up on iTunes or visit the show at www.theforestatnight.com. Ah, I will not buy this record. It is scratched. Sorry, mate. You're the tobacconists. Next door. Tobacconists? Yes, tobacconists. Good morning. And I also wanted to add, if you go to www.paganheartinmaine.com, you'll see a link near the top that says, Podcasts for the Pagan Heart. All of the podcasts you just heard are listed there with links to their websites and iTunes links. Sort of a one-stop for all your pagan-oriented podcast needs. And if you know of any other podcasts that should be on this page, please let me know. And I thank you all for being here today. I'm calling this Episode 8. As always, the music on A Pagan Heart in Maine is used with permission of the artists. And you can find links to the artist on today's episode at www.paganheartinmaine.com. And as always, thank you to harpist Jerry Marchand for the background music here on A Pagan Heart. 
thank you again to Jane Rayburn for being on A Pagan Heart in Maine these past two episodes. And to end this episode, here is Laura Powers within the arms of the Milky Way. I'm Grey Wolf. Bright blessings. Oh